All right, howlers. Let's get howling. But first, a couple quick warnings. First warning, this podcast contains adult content. Don't be a pixie. Second warning, this podcast contains spoilers for the entire Red Rising saga. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Etsy. Email us, howlerpod at gmail.com. Visit us at howlerpod.com and rate and review us five stars only. If you don't give us five stars only, we will make you have sex with your aunt. (laughs) And now, Howlerpod. If we cannot engineer salvation for our men, then vengeance will suffice. Hello, Howlers. Welcome to HowlerPod, the one and only podcast for all things Red Rising. Every episode, we dive deep to break down, celebrate, and discuss all aspects of the fantastic Red Rising saga by Howler number one, Pierce Brown. Oh, gods. (laughs) (laughs) I am your host, Ben Reinert. I am joined today, as always, by the amazing Aaron Ayers. Hello, Howlers. Thanks for joining us at HowlerPod. Before you listen to the episode, let's talk about your future. Perfect. Yeah, we want to talk about what's coming up next for HowlerPod. We are not quitting. We are going to be on hiatus for a little while. Get over this COVID bullshit. (laughs) We got to deal with coronavirus. I've got to move into a new house. Aaron's got to study for a test for architecture licensure. So we need to take some time off. But we will be back this summer. We are going to be doing some character studies where our entire episode is going to be focused around one character and their story. So if you have any ideas about characters that you want to hear us do these studies on, let us know. And then also, if you have any ideas for like segments or things that you would want us to talk about with those characters, send those in to us. You can send that information into howlerpod at gmail.com. Or you can slide into our DMs. Hot take. First character study, all on tongueless. <laughs> Hour and a half deep. episode. <laughs> <laughs> Practicing charades. Aaron, what are we doing today? It is the final Dark Age Megapod. Woo! Chapters 87 to 92. Let's load up this star shell and shoot straight into our chapter summaries. Hopefully we don't have sex with our aunt. (laughs) (laughs) Accidental sex with our aunt. I hate when it just slips right in, you know? Can't help myself. Gosh. Chapter 87. Lysander. Ghost. In the aftermath of the battle, Lysander sits atop Blood of Empire and watches as Kalandora is airlifted by Medikai. He hears the thump and turns to see Ajax. They are polite and formal, and Lysander is like, hey, check this out. I've got Daryl's razor. Ajax is filled with hatred he can barely contain. He assembles the 400 peerless with him to move on the mound where Daryl and his men are making their last stand. Lysander stays behind. He's had enough glory for today. Uh, Lysander hears firing in the mound and looks up as rip wings dive from the sky. A particle beam shears through a huge statue. Then a battered ship rips away from the mound. It's 
the Archimedes. Cassius stands in the open garage bay, and he and Lysander, they lock eyes. And then the Ooh. ship goes translucent and rockets towards the sky. Daddy's home. <laughs> Chapter 88, Lyria. Mercury has fallen. Lyria is at the funeral for Ulysses with Volga and the children, a.k.a. Pax and Electra. Victra buries her child, then wades out into the sea towards the setting sun. Electra moves the group to the coast, and she builds a fire. She explains that Victra must swim to the sun and may only look back once it is gone. If there's a light on the shore to welcome you home, then you can return. While they wait, we find out that Volga went to Olympia, followed by Julii military. They found Volga trying to hold Ephraim's body together, but it fell apart when she stood up. There were no witnesses to explain what happened there, but they know it was Fa. Six hours after Victra waded into the sea, she returns and sits by the fire. She swears a life oath to both Volga and Lyria, and they swear the same back to her. Victor plans to go to war. Lyria says she's going to go to Earth with Volga to bury Ephraim. When Lyria and Volga are preparing to leave Mars, a shuttle carrying Kirin, the arch-governor now of Mars, lands with a group of Republic ships. Kirin tells everyone that Mercury has fallen, that the Reaper is dead, and that Volga is the only remaining heir of Ragnar and Volsung Fa's alleged granddaughter. Fa has pledged no further acts of violence and promises to leave Mars if they give him Volga. Kirin tells Volga that with his brother gone, they need heroes. She decides to do it and tells Lyria to bury Ephraim for her. After the ships carrying the obsidians leave Mars with Volga, Pax approaches Lyria, telling her that he knows about the parasite. He knows how to fix it and shows her a map of the inner asteroid belt holding a city called Oculus. Never heard of a place called Oculus? Have you ever heard of <laughs> Oculus? It's the city that you can get your parasite fixed yet. <laughs> this is Pax's new accent. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what I imagined he sounded like. When he talks, he's like, hey, I'm the smartest kid this side of Brooklyn, okay? Chapter 89, Lysander, Triumph of the Long Night. Which reminds me of Game of Thrones. Oh, wow. They yeah. had a long night. That ended up being a pretty short night. Pretty <laughs> <laughs> pretty uh, solidified night. Sorry, side, sidebar. The cast of Game of Thrones made t-shirts that said, I survived the long night because mm. they actually, the cast had to film at night for like I forgot how long, twenty-seven days or something. Yeah. So they were all like fucking exhausted. We bet. Okay. Chapter eighty-nine. Lysander triumph of the long night. Lysander internally struggles with the fact that Cassius is not only alive but now his enemy. He must go to his triumph where he suspects Atalantia will have him killed. Atlas is waiting for him at a shuttle. He escaped the long night after the MP locked down his cell, and the Gorgons were able to rescue him. Lysander rides in his chariot next to Atlas through the parade route to the great palace where Atalantia awaits at the top of the steps. She is surrounded by the 200 heads of the prominent remaining houses, and Ajax is there too. Lysander ascends to the top of the stairs next to Atalantia, and she starts the ceremony. She gives him his peerless scar. Lysander says, 
I imagine it will be a sniper. And Atalantia says, yes. Lysander must change her mind. He kneels and says, all this I did for you. He says he doesn't want to be sovereign and that Loon and Grimace must be united formally through marriage. She likes this new plan and Lysander is allowed to live through his triumph. They seal the deal that night having anti-sex in her meditation chamber. Some say auntie. Auntie. Having auntie sex. Well, I say auntie. I'm just auntie saying. Auntie slash nephew sex. <laughs> Quote unquote. They're not related by blood, but he was raised essentially by the Grimace trio. Still, yeah, still quite weird. Still pretty creepy. <laughs> Buckle up, buttercup. We got more sex coming up. <laughs> Chapter 90, Lysander, the love knight. Mm. Lysander wakes up feeling dirty after sex with ant time. Not too dirty, though, to have morning sex with ant time. <laughs> after all the sex, Lysander goes to see Calendora as she lies dying in her bed from the poison left by Darrow's blade. Calendora must confess something to Lysander. She flips on a jammer. She says Octavia was like a poison to all around her, but somehow Lysander wasn't poisoned by her. Calendora tells him that his mom was a reformer and she had planned a coup after the burning of Rhea. She confesses that Octavia ordered her to plant a bomb along with Atalantia on Lysander's parents' ship. Calendora goes on to tell Lysander that the reason he can't remember his mother is because of Octavia's pandemonium chair. She altered his memories. Calendora says that Roan and Atlas will be his allies and that he must stop Atalantia because she is a monster. Lysander leaves. Later that night, he has more sex with aunt slash parent killer time. It's a real indictment that he can even get a boner after hearing all that. Well, he's a gold. <laughs> gold boners are <laughs> foolproof. <laughs> even though this person killed his mom. And is his aunt. And his dad. Hey, they got the, the boner hole in the armor for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it. <laughs> Anyways, Lysander is essentially a sex slave now, Whew. like the pinks that his family enslaved. Full circle. Chapter 91, Mustang, Salvation or Vengeance. Mustang has returned home to Mars on the Deja Thoris. She has left her husband and all her friends behind. Only Kavax and Holiday remain. Her and Holiday chat about returning to Mars and the coulda, shoulda, wouldas of leaving Luna behind. Mustang had no choice, at least her son waits ahead. As she prepares to take her shuttle down to the surface, she is joined by Kavax. He is not doing so hot, but he's still Kavax, and we love him. They talk about Mars, and he reminds her about what her father used to do every time he returned to Mars, run the Iron Circle. He would fly his shuttle without an escort and a ring around the planet, allowing anyone to take a free shot if they dare. Yep, it's basically just like a dick measuring contest. Sometimes you gotta flop that dong to really show people Jesus what's up. <laughs> you actually wrote the words flop that dong. I wrote that with you like I thought you might enjoy that when I said it. No. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta flop that dong. That's all I'm saying. Oh Lord Jesus. Mustang proceeds to flop the dong. 
And uh, as they fly around the planet, they see a line of fire <laughs> racing across the dark landscape. It takes the shape of a sling blade. Mars endures. They land to cheers of millions of citizens come to see Lionheart and the Republic returning home. As Mustang descends from the ship, the onlookers raise their clenched fists. They're all dipped in red. She sees Pax but can't go to him yet because, you know, she's got to be the sovereign and shit. She walks toward the arch governor, who's Darrow's brother, Kieran, and he grants her total imperium of the planet. You're going to have to say, great move, Kieran, and hands her the sword of the rising. Daryl's original sling blade from the mines. She thrusts it into the air, shouts, Hail Libertas, Hail River. Now it's time to see her family and make things right with Victra. She reunites with Pax and sees that he is no longer the boy he once was. He has seen some shit. Pax takes her to the training grounds where she finds Victra going super hard in her training for the oncoming war. Victra be Victra. So at first she's kind of pissed and tells Mustang to go away unless she's here to say they're riding on Luna. Mustang tries to explain, but Victra will hear none of it and turns her back on Mustang. Mustang strips away her clothing, exposing the hundreds of scars she received from the mob and Lilith. Victra turns back and Mustang tells her, I tried. Victra looks at the scars on Mustang's body, pulls her friend close, telling her they will engineer salvation or vengeance for their husbands as they embrace. Just then, Pax rushes into the courtyard, data pad in hand. He tells them Earth has fallen. Mustang asks, who did it? The Rim or Society? Pax says, both. Oh, shit. Loon has bridged the divide. He's bridged something. (laughs) 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 I was trying to make a sex joke. (laughs) Chapter 92, Lysander, Graveyard of Tyrants. Lysander gets dropped off by Roan and Pytha in the middle of the desert next to a great table set for a feast. He is waiting on a man, but not just any man, the Minotaur himself, Apollonius Valii Wrath. Lysander is in shambles emotionally after the revelations Calendora provided to him, but he feels oddly free of Octavia for the first time ever. Apple then shows up, With clothes on, unfortunately. (laughs) He's super pissed, and they rehash the Battle of Mercury together and then begin to discuss the terms of an alliance. Apple lists his terms. He wants Atalantia, Ajax, Atlas, and then Darrow, and then the Mind's Eye. Lysander agrees to those terms, but says he needs something in return. Apple to be his warlord. Lysander will rule. Apple will help him get there. In return, Apple owes no fealty to Lysander except for one oath to stand with him now against the worlds. All of them. Apple agrees, and they look out onto the desert together where ten huge marble statues of previous sovereigns stand all pointing to one thing. Mars. 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 The end of book five. Wow. This has been a production of Audible. (laughs) That's the voice that will haunt my dreams. Just kidding. I'm pretty sure that dude died. (laughs) What? (laughs) Not TGR, the Audible guy. Oh. This has been a production of Audible. (laughs) He's dead? I don't know. And then Tim comes back on. I'm Tim Gerard Reynolds. Thank you. 
for Choosing Dark Age by Pierce Brown. All right, now that we know what happened in these chapters and in the entire book. The whole book! We're done! Hey, <laughs> fuck quarantine! We did 92 chapter summaries. That's pretty wild. <laughs> That's a big book, and I'm kind of worried because Pierce has a lot of extra time on his hands because, like the rest of us, all of his plans have been canceled. Mm -hmm. So I have a feeling that book six is going to be longer than than Dark Age. I'm wondering if it's going to become book six and book seven. Oh, geez. I might have to quit my real job. All right, now that we know what happened, let's talk about the theme that ties all these chapters together. Today's theme is... Eyes on the future. Wow, that sounds futuristic. <laughs> <laughs> Eyes on the future. Yeah, let's talk about it. Um, so everybody's kind of resetting the table here. We're winding down the entire story uh, from Dark Age. Everybody's kind of come back together. Or they're on their next path. Or they're on their next path. That's a good point. And we're looking towards what's, what's coming. The oncoming storm. Mars. Mars. <laughs> I think we're going to get a lot of Mars in the next book. So let's talk about Lysander first. Dude. Talk about a spanking. Yeah. Lysander <laughs> sees his ship. He says to himself in his head, I know that ship. A knight fills the open garage bay. It is not Darrow. His armor is brilliant white. His helmet like that of a rising sun. It retracts to reveal his face. And for a moment, our eyes meet. Cassius. Diomedes lied. Cassius is alive. And Darrow has slipped the noose. My true heart is laid bare, awash with exultation, clouded with confusion, pure with purpose. The war goes on. The war goes on. What's great about this quote is like a couple paragraphs right before this. Lysander's thinking to himself like how everything is over, how he's won, how he doesn't need this glory. He's going to let Ajax finish Darrow off. And he's thinking Cassius is gone. Now Darrow's about to die. Like, like all, all these giants yeah, are all, gone. All the giants of my youth are disappearing. And then boom. They back. <laughs> Immediately they back. And he's like, shit, the, this war is back on. And he even says, like, Cassius died for the rising, and now he's back with it, basically. Yeah. I like how he says his heart is laid bare, awash with exultation. Like, he's really happy that Cassius is alive. He loves Cassius like yeah. a brother. Yeah, but it's this very confusing moment at the same time because now he's like well shit we're on opposite sides of this war yeah cassius is there saving darrow mm -hmm. from lysander yep and there's a, a quote that i wrote down from him once we come back to him uh later on in these chapters he says there is a war inside me i, I would have given nearly anything to bring cassius back from death anything except this he died for the rising now he fights with them he is my enemy. I cannot come to terms with it. Then maybe you're on the wrong side, brother. Also, first of all, that's a pretty big ask. Like he's saying, I would have given nearly anything except for this. Like this is a pretty big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I would have given anything except for the one thing Cassius died for. Exactly. <laughs> you think he's just going to be like, oh, you, 
You're right, little Lysander. I'll be on your side. Really admirable, Lysander. I'm willing to give up anything. Well, anything except for the th- one thing that he really believes in. <laughs> and I'm wondering, so this is all prior to Lysander finding out about how horrible his grandma really was. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that will sway him at all towards Cassius's side. Yeah, it's hard to say. It doesn't really seem like that in that last chapter we get where he meets with Apollonius, that he's really feeling that way. But he does seem to be still working through a lot of his feelings uh, regarding Octavia. He seems very confused. You know, he's, he, he does say at one point, like, you know, my emotions are all over the place, basically. Yeah, he needs to... Focus his mind's eye. <laughs> just he needs to have a good cry, you know. Something he's not doing is just having a good cry. <laughs> just let it out, and then the answers will come. Do you think he's capable of crying? He's so analytical. Well, he only know. has one eye, so it's like a half cry. <laughs> it's not even a real cry. It's boy. a half cry. Anyways, this is like an oh shit moment, mm-hmm. but also it's important that we point out that his heartstrings are being pulled by Cassius. Mm-hmm. So this could potentially, looking to the future, have some type of change in his trajectory. Yeah, if there's anybody that's going to be able to change the way Lysander currently sees the world, I think it is going to be Cassius, because that's like his last totem from his childhood that's left, that's still alive. And Cassius raised. Lysander for half of his life Mm -hmm. and he was a much better parent to him than Octavia you know what I mean yep and then the final quote we have from Lysander is just his conversation with Apollonius they basically agree to become allies they shake hands and he's and then this is the final lines of the book which are just great I feel like he's had those statues that were laying out in the desert and Mercury picked up they're going to be repositioned and set back in place and he says when i find the statues they lay fallow in the dirt covered with war machines and blood their arms pointing in all directions now no longer a bickering mass in a shared grave they stand together again they point together toward a small patch of the sky where at noon a distant sphere appearing no larger than a small grain of sand circles the sun they point to remind my guest and all of mercury our task is yet unfinished. They point toward Mars. Mars. <laughs> and this is uh, really symbolic in that like, gold is reunited at this point. And all these dictators standing together, looking off towards distance, all pointing at Mars. Like, we are, we've got a united, powerful front of gold society, plus the rim at this point. They've come together. As far as we know. As far as we know. Because yep. Diomedes... Looked for his sister, didn't find her, mm-hmm. went back to the rim with a heavy heart, mm-hmm. and we don't know. Well, they took the earth, so. That's true, that's true, yeah. that's true. Mm-hmm. The rim took earth, but we don't know if Diomedes is on Atalantia's side. Yeah, it seems. For well, sure. For right now, they, they are in a quote-unquote in alliance with each other. Right, but, but clearly Diomedes possibly let Cassius go willingly. Mm-hmm. It's a tenuous alliance for sure. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there's all that 
history, obviously, between the rim and the core and that kind of thing. So Plus, now that Serafina died because of Atalantia demanding, like, basically a blood sacrifice, yeah. <laughs> that could maybe sway the rim as well. Right. But at this moment, Gold is basically putting up a united front. And that's symbolic in these statues here, but it's also showing just Lysander and his singular goal of taking Darrow down. Like he let him slip through his fingers one more time. That's that's what makes me think is that Lysander is not going to turn in this last book just because he seems so focused on ending the Rising and the Republic and he believes in gold no matter what. Yeah, especially after he kills Alex and it says all these racist things about Rona. Like, he seems very (laughs) much like he is on his own side. But the reason I say those things is because a lot changed in these chapters with Calendora's confessions. Yeah, but even then, she tells him... Uh, And we have this quote pulled as well. She says, I wasn't strong enough to make a stand, but when you came back, I knew it was time. That is why I called the Praetorians. You are the sovereign, the last heir of Selenius, the last hope of gold, and you are good. What are the chances? You can repair what Darrow and Octavia broke. Make all this horror be for something. Fix what is broken in our people, Lysander. I think that's extremely important, that line from Kalandora, because that comes after the revelations. Right. And, and that's kind of his view of the most noble cause, which is still gold on top of the pyramid. Right. Yep. And that's what makes Lysander feel like he's doing the right thing. He's like, yes, I, I can be the person that fixes gold, fixes what's gone wrong. He doesn't see, you know, the pyramid or the fact that a bunch of people are slaves as the issue. He sees, you know, gold's decadence, greed and that type of thing as the problem. Um, and they were not being what they were created to do, which is be the shepherds of humanity. And he just believes in that higher purpose of gold and the society as a whole. And it's like you said, the racist stuff, you're like, you're not seeing real sympathetic thoughts from, or sympathetic or empathetic thoughts from Lysander regarding anyone in the rising. He just, it's all society based. Right. Right. We'll see. Hey, Pierce. What's the future? (laughs) Are his eyes on the future? So that was all Lysander. Mm -hmm. And obviously he plays a huge role in the next book. He could be the person who ultimately ends Darrow's time with us. Or he could be the one who saves it. We don't know. We'll see what happens. I'm excited to find out. Definitely going to be a major player, obviously. And I really hope Cassius actually gets to spank him. That would be great for me. (laughs) I just think like, you know, big brother coming home. (laughs) So next up, eyes on the future, two other people who have become major players within this book are Lyria and Volga. And um, here we see what their trajectory is. So... Right before this, Volga and Lyria had been planning to go to Earth together to bury Ephraim. And then Kieran comes in and kind of blows that plan out of the water by telling Volga they need heroes. And Volga um, 
obviously being a very good person is like, if I can save a planet, I'm going to do it. If it's Mm -hmm. just my life for this whole planet. So Lyria says, don't do this. Volga says, I'm not a slave. It is my choice. Lyria says, you can't, you don't. Volga says, Ephraim would. He did not raise me to be a bad woman, but he did not raise me to be good either. Fa will bring me close and he will pay for his evil. She smiles down at me. Thank you for helping me. I have never had a friend so small be so big. She kisses me on the forehead and steps forward. Ugh! <laughs> this is, takes so much courage from Volga to like step into this. She's basically like giving herself up to be a prisoner to Fa, who just ripped out her best friend and father, admittedly. (laughs) Like, she's just held her Ephraim's body together, and now she's choosing to be a prisoner of the same monster. Right. Just to save a planet full of people she doesn't know. It's crazy. Incredible. She's a hero. She's cute. (laughs) and she remains cute yeah it's just this this step that volga takes is a surprising one honestly for me but uh it was an interesting development in the book and i I love it because i love her plan i love how she says you know i'll bring him close and then when he's slipping basically i'm gonna catch him and i like that as a plan but i just i don't know I'm worried about what happens when she goes to Fod in the first place, like what he does to her. Because I feel like, why would he keep her alive? Or why would he ever give her enough freedom right. where she could take power back? Right. You know? And is she going to have to do a bunch of terrible shit in order to like earn his trust in the first place? And we all know... She's not good at doing terrible shit. Right. She's actually quite bad at it. Really bad. Yeah. She can't do it. So. It's interesting. That'll be an interesting development, obviously. And then we know that Lyria is going to go try to help her now. And so we're going to look at her future with this next quote. Um, and she's talking to Pax. And she says, did, did Victra send you? And Pax says, no. She wants to protect you from what you could be, but she only knows that Figment inherited the parasite and gained advantages from it. She has no idea what it really is or where it comes from. And you do? I have my suspicions. What if I told you I could find Liam easier than you could without leaving a computer? Would you do something for me? At this time, Lyria is like super concerned with where Liam is and what his status is. And then Lyria responds, be... Be more specific. He pulls out a thin hollow map of the inner asteroid belt and hands it to me. Have you ever heard of a city called Oculus? Ooh, intrigue. So he's going to send her to Oculus, get the parasite fixed. First of all, Oculus exists. Right. This is the first time we're like, okay, that's where Quicksilver's been. And we know where it is. It's in the inner asteroid belt. So it's in the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter, basically. And... We hear from Lysander that the Archimedes received upgrades and he suspects Quicksilver's hand at play. So Cassius has probably been hanging out at Oculus, getting his ship all cloaked up. Right. So Oculus, I feel like, is going to be a very, besides Mars, 
It'll be Mars and Oculus, basically, book six. These are the major planetary right. slash asteroid belt areas. Right. Well, we've got that, and then we've got the whole society basically on Mercury, and then we've got the jackal or Abominadrius on Luna. Well, and the apple has Venus. Right. I'm just, but he's on Mercury. My question is, who is hanging out on Pluto? And is it considered, <laughs> do we consider it a planet at this point? I'm not point? sure we're going to get it in there. Is it a moon? Well, they're after us, so it's been X'd out as a planet. I need Pierce. Technically in the future, after our existence. I'm so. just saying, I need someone. I know that we think it's not a planet right now. It's not. But what if in the future, they're like, just kidding. <laughs> they give it back. It's still a planet. Pluto's like, yes, back, baby. I fucking one, <laughs> book six. We'll see. Maybe we'll go to Pluto. I don't know. But yeah, so we have Pax sending Lyria to Oculus to get the parasite fixed. And then later on, he tells Mustang that he's basically sent Lyria after Volga. He says, in a way. So he wants her to get fixed. Get fixed and then go help Volga out. Yes. Please do. We need more Lyria and Volga. And obviously Volga's gonna need some help from the parasite slash Lyria. Right. Okay, so we know where Volga and Lyria's futures lie. Let's talk about Mustang and Victra and then we'll be done with our quotes here. This is another moment where, like, Victra is so scary. <laughs> yes. And this is like Mustang and her go way back. They're like basically best friends, but like only by circumstance. <laughs> right. Yeah. They are kind of more friends by by marriage. Yeah. Just association and like their husbands out all the time. Yeah. Our best friends. So this is where. Victra is very, very cold to Mustang. And I don't know. It makes me very uncomfortable. Because I'm like, she didn't do anything to you, bitch. But then she's very warm. That's how Victra is. And I love the way Pierce describes it. And yeah. we'll, we'll read it here. So Pierce describes it well. Well, let me set it up. So Mustang comes in and Victra's like, don't fucking talk to me. You left my husband on Luna. How dare you? And then Pierce says, her love and hate are made of the same passion. So um, Mustang strips off her shirt and her pants, and she stands there, and Victor looks and sees all of the scars and gashes from the hatchet and basically how fucked up Mustang got. And Mustang says, I tried, truly. And then uh, Victor's eyes search each one of the scars. I now have more than she does. Her heavy hand reaches to clutch my shoulder, and then the bigger woman pulls our foreheads together. If we cannot engineer salvation for our men, then vengeance will suffice. Sisters, am I right? Love it. That's like the personification of, of Victra is right there on that one little section you just read. Yeah. Super cold, super hot, <laughs> yeah. which is why I love her love and hate are made of the same passion. It's, I mean, yeah, 100%. Yeah, that just explains her character perfectly. Uh, and at this point, Mustang's come back home to Mars. Mars has completely rallied as an entire planet. With the sling blade fires. Right. 
and they are ready to go to war. And this is, remember, the planet where the rising started. So, like, this is deep within all of these people. The freedom, the idea that, you know, all men are created equal, and that the, kind of thing. the Reaper is theirs. Yeah. So they're not going to go down without basically, you know, getting glass planted it at this point, I don't think. <laughs> glass planted it. <laughs> that's scary. <laughs> All right, that's this week's theme of Eyes on the Future. We're looking ahead, guys. Or Eyes on Mars. Mars. <laughs> Let's just keep looking forward and not <laughs> don't focus on this shitty time that we all live in. Yeah. Think of the future. All right, that takes us to our next segment, which is Who Died Today? Only one. It's a light death day. Very light. <laughs> Pierce really ended this. On an upturn. <laughs> right. So Calendora Asan, the love knight, she died from allegedly Darrow's poison. That's used by Scoogie. Yeah, Scoogie use it. And does Darrow use poison, Ben? Fuck no. Fuck no. So she dies by somebody poisoning Yeah. Her. Also, a lot of Darrow's army also dies. Because when Ajax and the Peerless descend on the mound... Only like the main characters escape with Cassius. Like the core of the howlers and the commanders, basically. Right. And then a lot of the Reds or a lot of Darrow's army die, and then a lot of them are enslaved and forced to rebuild Mercury. Also, a bunch of them are impaled. Karen mentions that two million soldiers were impaled on Mercury. Two million more? Yeah. Oh, I must have skipped that line. <laughs> so we should also count them when as he t- dead. Yeah, when he says that Darrow's dead, he tells everybody that Darrow's dead or whatever. He says two men were impaled. Great. So that's probably like some society propaganda, but it seems like also they probably Don't impaled a bunch no of Also, Atlas is busy. <laughs> Where are they finding all the trees? That's all we want to know. Well, I guess it is a jungle planet. No, it's the desert planet. It's the desert well, remember, we're like, what if they're metal poles? They're not necessarily trees. Yeah. Just because it's a forest doesn't mean it's wood. <laughs> they could be metal poles. Yeah. This was a whole conversation on the internet <laughs> that I like really read into. Okay, bye, Calendora. Uh, I don't miss you, but way to confess to killing Lysander's mom so now we know what happened. Yeah. She's okay. I mean, if, if you're going to like like a society person and you're like, I like Calendora, I'll let it, let it fly, you know? She's like the society version of Thraxa, except not as good as Dude, Thraxa fucking... Is a beast, man. Dude, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to do more squats every day and try to be more like Thraxa. <laughs> I'm going to... By the end of this quarantine, I am jumping through a wall like the fucking Kool-Aid man. (laughs) Or like Thraxa. Fantastic. All right. That takes us to the Prime Five. Which is five of our favorite insights and observations from this week's chapters. Let's start with our boy Cassius. I want to read... Just his quick history. We learned from Mustang just how he was released and stuff. Like how he showed up. Yeah. She says, 
the man was found in his deep space Corvette. The communications equipment had been destroyed and his ship barely managed to limp back to Mars. The details of his escape from his rim imprisonment are fuzzy at best. So I wonder if Cassius is even hiding the details of his escape from, you know, like maybe Diomedes had a hand in it or something like that. But it seems he was spared from execution by one of Romulus's sons. So that's it right there. He was secluded in a private estate on Europa to be released when the war ended. He broke out and stole his ship back to escape. After delivering the news to Kavax, he offered his service to the Republic. So he got buried off of Io by Diomedes, taken to Europa. That's where Lorne used to live. And was supposed to hang out there and be released. Why was his ship there? That's a good question. That's what I was also wondering. So they wondering. also moved his ship with him? Yeah. Maybe. That's interesting. That makes me think that maybe it's a story. I don't know. It sounds like Diomedes was just like, here, dude, <laughs> get the fuck out of here. If you escape, you escape. I wouldn't, I wouldn't drive back to Mars if I was you, but I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> you sounded like <laughs> Morty from Rick and Morty. <laughs> <laughs> Morty Diomedes. (laughs) Okay, next up, we talk about the boy who killed a torch ship. The boy who lived. Yeah, I thought this sounded like Harry Potter. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. Obviously, Pax came in hot, pilots Halo on, um, and now his legend has grown. I wish he would have gotten a lightning scar from it. You know, maybe just like a little piece of debris came by and gave him like a. We don't know that he doesn't have that. (laughs) So let's just assume he has the scar. Obviously, the blues halo has to leave some kind of mark, right? (laughs) So obviously, uh, in a previous episode is when Pax did the badass flying. But in this um, episode, we see Pax through Mustang's eyes. Mm -hmm. And Pax calls him... Not yet the man he will become, but he's the blueprint of the man that he will soon become. Right. So the boy is gone. He is like a gangly (laughs) two-day-old giraffe (laughs) who can run, Yeah. but is not yet full grown. So Mustang now, even though she wants to cuddle him and hold the boy who was, she sees that he is now a changed person. He's changed. She sees it in his eyes. And I like also how she says, like, I raised him to be an ally. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. (laughs) It's a little (laughs) reminiscent of Octavia. Right. Like, oh, I'm going to have kids so that they're my allies. (laughs) Yeah. Like, the ultimate ally is one that you birth from your own womb. It Which is. I think is a great childbearing, uh, <laughs> you know, argument. It's like, on a level, for sure. Let's, let's have kids so I can raise my own army. Sure, mm-hmm. why not? We kind of were with Pax while he went through all these changes, and Mustang wasn't. So it's interesting to jump from the last time she saw Pax, which was at um, the birthday party right before he was taken by Ephraim. That's the last time Mustang saw him. So think about all the things that he went through and now Mustang seeing him after 
being captured, being in a cage by the Duke, being rescued by Ephraim, plane crash, being with uh, Sefi, being trained with the Obsidians, engineering his own escape with Ephraim from the Obsidians. Like he's done all of these things without his mom there. And now she's seeing him again after all of that. And that's how he's changed. Yep, it's a really cool look at who he's become. Okay, let's move on to the next item on the Prime 5 list. We've just got a whole lot of... We just wanted to kind of talk about Mustang Victra here. I thought Victra's... What did you think of Victra's swim? I thought that was just such a cool thing that like the Julii family does. And just heartbreaking at the same <laughs> I was time. like, cool. It was pretty fucking sad. Yes. Like, I mean, yeah. very sad. And uh, Electra's like, Sometimes they don't ever look back. So we're like, oh, so Victor's just going <laughs> to swim. God, to her, that would have been awful. Just swim until she dies. Cool. <laughs> oh, That'd be fun. But um, I'm I glad do, she came back. <laughs> I do love not only is this moment very somber and introspective, but I love that Lyria and Volga were invited to participate in this very intimate ceremony and victor brought them there to then swear a life oath to them yeah that was really cool um yes and then we kind of already talked about the moment that mustang and victor have it's just that was one of my favorite moments of the book and some of pierce's best writing i feel like that's just that way he's able to convey the motion between them in not a lot of lines either you know like yeah not yeah not overly explained also can I be their third? You're going to have to get some scars. Well, have you heard of like, I don't know, Charlie's Angels? Or like, I don't know, any Powerpuff Girls? Any group of girls? There's three of them, right? So they need a third. I think that fits. I'm yeah. ready. Okay. I'm doing squats. I told you. And then also, I thought it was interesting that it seems like when Mustang shows up on Mars, that she doesn't know the full extent of the Volsung Fa situation and how big of a threat he is. Um, she's still talking about Sefi and kind of like how she trusted her. She says, I believed in the Obsidians. I believed in Sefi. I was too optimistic. It only took a single man to topple her reign and unleash her people. I felt like that was a little unfair. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> a single man... It's kind of a understatement for Volsung Fa because it's he's not a single man. He's also Atlas, right? Like he, it's not yeah, just that's Volsung. What I'm saying. Yeah, she they don't know the he's full extent. Also, the Fear Knight, mm-hmm. who's got his little fingers up everyone's butts. <laughs> he's puppeteering Volsung Fa. Yes, <laughs> his hands are way up that guy's ass. <laughs> That's true. So yeah, I think that's going to come into play. It's just obviously it'll come into play, but it's going to be interesting if Mustang is able to get her mind or, or get her head around that entire situation and see that it, there's more going First on there. First of all, it's Mustang. She's definitely going to get her head around it. <laughs> I hope so. Once she hears all the facts. Right. I'm sure Pax will catch her up real yeah. quick. Between those two, they should be able to figure it out. That's that's a good point. Then the last thing I had on this section was just 
Mustang and Kavax have a really cool conversation. And uh, Kavax illustrates a point that Aaron and I have been talking about a lot in our Dark Age podcasts. Uh, he says, there is evil in us as there is good, but we do not regret our good as we do our evil. But we do not regret our good as we do our evil. So we know what we are, my daughter. We know what we are. And then she responds, we know what we are. And that's kind of what we were talking about, like what separates you at the end of the day, you know? Yeah, like why is Darrow any different than Lysander mm-hmm. when they're all just Fucking killing everyone, nuking planets, right? Blowing shit up, making compromised decisions, and having to make the the, the tough decisions, and it's what separates you at the end of the day. And Kavax, I thought, illustrates that perfectly, as he always seems to do. He always has these great little nuggets, uh, <laughs> little jelly beans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he always seems to get some of the best lines, which is great. I hope he's back to full health by the next book. I don't think he's getting any better than where he is right now. It doesn't I think like he's it. just tired. Like a bunch of his fucking family has died. All of his sons is, have died. And Thrax is near death at this point, mm-hmm. even though he doesn't know that. But he could assume that she died with Darrow, like the rest of them assume. He's just tired of the war. But in that same chapter that you were just reading, it says he becomes the like warlord basically he stands to his full powerful self and he can like put that on but with just mustang he is vulnerable and tired Mm -hmm. just like me fucking (laughs) tired of this shit (laughs) stop killing everyone okay next time on the prime five list i just want to run back and review the details of Lysander's parents murder. Oh, yeah. So as much as we hate Lysander now because he killed Alex and he's a fucking dick and he says horrible things and he's called Darrow a slave and he almost killed Darrow and a bunch of other people. Even after all that, we still feel kind of bad for him. Because he had a super fucked up childhood. Right. His mom was a reformer. She thought the burning of Rhea was an abomination. And she saw how slowly her mother was trying to corrupt you. So this is Kalindora talking to Lysander. Um, so with Romulus's father, Rebus and Nero, she planned a coup. Lysander, it wasn't Outriders or Terrorists who killed your mother. It was Octavia who gave the order. And he says, how do you... And then she cuts him off because Atalantia and I planted the bomb on their shuttle. Oh, shit. So his wife-to-be slash aunt killed. And his crush. Like, I feel like he has a crush on Kalendor for sure. Oh, oh. I thought you were saying Atalantia was his crush. And I was no. like, gross. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. These two women that are so important to him that basically raised him and that he has weird feelings for. Because they were his mom's closest friends. Calendora is Atalantia's age thereabouts. I mean, yeah. Lysander is still much younger than both these women. That's pretty weird. He needs to start shopping around <laughs> on Bumble for some women his own age, <laughs> yeah. in my opinion. He needs to change the age parameters down. Just yeah, so you- change the paradigm 
<laughs> of your dating app. Take a note from Darrow. Goodness. Uh, and then he asks her, why can't I remember my mother's face and show that's when Calendora tells him that Octavia put him in the pandemonium chair. And we've seen what that does. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says, after two weeks in the chair, her work was done and you didn't cry anymore. And Aja was apparently pretty upset about this. She nearly broke her oath to Octavia over it. Atlantia didn't care at all. Over the pandemonium chair. Yeah. So Aja didn't know about the parents know. being blown up, according to Calendora. I can't say for sure whether Aja knew. I don't think Aja knew how his parents died. It is a little unclear. But I think she knew about the mind erasing. She for sure knew about that part. You can definitely tell that from the context of the conversation that they're having. It's hard to tell if he's referring, because he says, did Aja know? It's hard to tell if he's referring to all of it or just the pandemonium chair part. So yeah, obviously Lysander got his mind erased by his grandma. Aja almost broke her oath to Octavia because of said pandemonium chair. But yet Calendora and Adelantia, who were Lysander's parents' friends, still murdered them. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's not a good friendship. Okay, let's reassess. Don't blow your friends up. She talks about how Octavia poisons people's minds so much and they do so much bad stuff by the time that they can start thinking for themselves. They've already done so many terrible things. They're just like, all right, well, I'm a terrible person. I do terrible things. That's her whole deal. Um, And that's what they were trying to save Lysander from or wanted to save Lysander from because Calendora sees him as a quote-unquote good person. Yes, yeah. he was not poisoned, according to Calendora. I don't know. <laughs> he might have been a little poisoned. He's got a little poison in him, for sure. So um, Lysander, though, because of Calendora's confession and because of seeing Cassius alive again, he does have some changing feelings. Yep, we don't know where they're going to land, but he's definitely not... 100% set on his course like he was before these chapters. Right. Yeah, he's confused. He's like emotionally all over the place at this point. So we'll see where that leads him. We really don't get a good bead on what where that's going to take him. But he is definitely at this point all that shit is roiling in his brain like he's trying to figure it out. Trying to land on something. Well, bless his heart. <laughs> I hope he chooses the right path. And that takes us to the final item on the Prime 5 list. What is it? Appleback. Apollonius? Apollonius. And he's clothed. <laughs> he's not naked. And he lost his um, invisibility armor when the EMP went off. So he's visible now. Right. And I just can't get enough of his dialogue. Just like... Even when he's talking to Lysander, um, I care nothing for fairness, nor any of your pretentious-minded virtues. No morality constrains my limitless mind. (laughs) (laughs) He's fun at parties. You know what I want, little paramour. I love Apollonius. I know, and then he like applauds. Um, He's like, I shouldn't have called you out for being... For not being dramatic, he's like, clearly you're, you've got a 
a flair for theater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty great. And then when they're coming together and they decide to become allies, I love when, as soon as Lysander tells him that he needs something from him, and Apollonius is like, okay, what is it? And, Ap- and Lysander starts kind of talking and flowery. He's like, ta- starts talking around the subject instead of just, he's like, this conversation bores me. <laughs> just immediately. <laughs> and then they finally agree. And you can tell just Apollonius is getting his rocks off at this point. Because he gets to be undefeated. Yeah. He gets to just be the warlord. Yeah. That he wants to be. He's so hungry for power. I have a question. Mm -hmm. So the last time Lysander and Apple talked, Apollonius said he has no beef with Darrow because Darrow basically handed him Venus. But now in this conversation, he's like, yeah, I do want to kill Darrow and everyone else. So why does he now have beef with Darrow? I think he has always wanted Darrow. I mean, he sees Darrow as his great enemy, you know? Like, he sees Darrow as his opposite. He's the only person that can equal him in any kind of way is Darrow. So if he can defeat Darrow, that, to Apple, makes him feel, you know, like, I am God, basically. But did you notice that shift? Like, yeah. he, he did say last time they talked. I never believed him. I mean, I didn't, I guess I didn't really take that at face value. I feel like he's always just going to carry that vendetta for Darrow. Even when they were kind of working together, it was always a situation where this is temporary. Well, when they were working together, I felt like Apollonius was 100% on board with being Darrow's ally, but Darrow wasn't. Yeah. So like Apple was saving his life left and right. And Darrow was like ready to blow his brains out. Yeah. That's true. So I don't know. I feel like Apple (laughs) (laughs) so far has like proven to be a good ally for Darrow. So I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) He's a psycho. He's a psycho that, (laughs) but he's fun at parties. (laughs) He would be cool to hang out with for like 10 minutes and you're like dude stop talking i don't know i i would sit back <laughs> drink some beers <laughs> listen to him talk he's great to the trembling of the worlds i mean as long as he eventually is naked in this scenario <laughs> i'm on board <laughs> you know that's gonna happen so. <laughs> just wait around long enough yes. it's one of those parties <laughs> All right, that was our Prime 5. Let's move on to the Primus of the Week. Where we choose our one character who conquered our Proctors of Plot and rose above the rest. Our Primus of the Week is... This is a tough one. Atalantia. A.K.A. Auntie of the Year. (laughs) She's our favorite aunt or aunt. She um, wins back Mercury. She wins Mercury. She basically is the puppeteer for everyone, including Lysander. He basically has no choice but to become her sex slave who has to bow down to her as dictator. So she's literally the, the peak of the pyramid of the society. Yep, the society takes Earth. They're an extremely 
powerful position going into book six. And she still is wearing her Britney Spears snake necklace Hypatia. Yeah, it would be a little distracting. Um, sex. Snake. I feel like snake on your neck. Ma'am, ma'am. <laughs> I'm sorry. Aunt, Aunt Atalanta. Yes. Can you put Hypatia back in her cage, please? I'm not sure I can get close to you with this. I, but like we talked about, the gold boners <laughs> are strong. Apparently, I guess he's twenty. You know, he's like he's young and virile. <laughs> Those were the days. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Atalantia. I don't even hate you for it. You know, I hate your nephew, but you're just like doing what you were programmed She's to do. She's nasty, man. She's nasty, but like we need a nasty bitch on top so that Victra the nastiest of the nasty bitches can fucking kick her face in and it'll be worth it. I feel like Atalantia is going to get a quick curtain call in book six, like a surprising one. Maybe Hypatia's just like, I don't like you anymore and just chokes her out. That'd be cool. I feel like Lysander's going to take her out. We'll see. All right. Um, let's move on to our next segment. This is a new segment, special segment for the Megapod. Let's talk about how did your feelings change? After the reread of Dark Age. Okay, full disclosure, I've already said this. I fucking hated this book. <laughs> the first time I read it, I like couldn't get through it. I had trouble forcing myself. I basically forced you to read it so that we could do a podcast on yeah. it. Yeah, I kept like not <laughs> reading it because I was exhausted <laughs> by all the death. I just like was so depressed. I was in a bad place. Pierce killed everyone I love. <laughs> and I honestly was like, I'm over it. I like don't want to read it anymore. I'm exhausted. And Ben made me keep reading. <laughs> that was my first read of it. Um, and I drug it out. Let me tell you. Second read, liked it way more because now I've got this crusty core <laughs> surrounding my heart <laughs> i no longer have feelings you were prepared for it <laughs> <laughs> i can now joke about all my favorite people dying and now i can kind of look past the emotional struggles that i suffered the first read mm -hmm. and i can see more of the more overarching um plot points that don't focus just on all the gore and death and clones and aliens and moreover can focus on where these main characters um plot points are taking them so i enjoyed the book like probably 80 percent more this time i actually was like looking forward to reading it i was like reading ahead and getting excited so it was a totally different experience for me and i hope that if you have only read Dark Age once and you had some bad feelings about it, like do a reread. Honestly, it's like way different the second time for mm -hmm. me. Yeah. How about you, Ben? And I think it helped like taking our time with it. So we didn't read it extremely quickly. We read it over 15 weeks or whatever. That was kind of cool. We got a lot of time to think about it, digest it. I was much more positive the first time around. I liked it. I did find it like unshakably brutal though like it was tough it was tough to get through at times and 
by the time you hit like that Alex death, you're just like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> like <laughs> You're just drained. Yeah. You like have no more to give in right. terms of giving a shit. You right. just have no more shits to give. <laughs> it was tough. Um, and that was where I was just like, God, this. I know a lot of people by that point, I've heard a couple of things. I know people have reached Alex's death and they're like, that didn't really hit me that hard because I was so, I think like Aaron, I was so worn out by the time I got there. Like I didn't have the emotions to give at that point. But for me, I was like, okay, I can, I was making my way through. And then that one just, that is where I broke on that death. And broke in terms of like, fuck you, Pierce. I, I was, hate you. Exactly. I was just like, God, I'm so like, I can't get through this book. I don't care for best friends. I'm never <laughs> speaking to you again. That one just broke my soul and just like broke my heart. And this time around, though, I would echo Aaron. I enjoyed the book even more than I did the first time. I think it's Pierce's best writing. Um, He just continues to get better. And I think just some of his best passages are in this book right here. Best moments. Like, even just best one liners. Yeah. Like, well, not, not Easter eggs, but like, well, sprinkles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I just think the whole thing is so well done. Uh, there's still some plot points that I'm maybe questioning, but I am excited now much more than I was the first time around to see where those plot points are going, specifically like Abominadrius and the Ascomani. The first time around, I was like, why are we doing like, why are we mixing all this stuff in? Right, like, it was too out of our comfort zone right. to kind of accept at first. Yeah. And now that we've had a whole reread to accept these variables as fact, and, now, now and it's like, can, okay. Yeah, and you can also see how much work Pierce put into setting those things up. In terms of the previous books. Yes. Yeah. And in this book, just like the, all the little things that we call along the way where the story is building, you're getting information from different characters on di- in different locations about things that are going to happen in the future. And you can see just the care and the time that went into that. Right. Because um, the first read, you're like, the fuck? Like, where did that come from? That right. is so random. Right. But it's not. No, he's way ahead of us, guys. Exactly, and um, yeah. Once you can kind of appreciate that, and because a lot of times when I first read a book, I'm just speeding through. I want to know the plot. I want to know what happens next. I want to know, and and that makes you miss a lot of details. And so this time, when we're able to kind of stop and see, and talk about it, and realize what Pierce is trying to do, the whole picture became a lot more clear this time around and i'm just so excited for book six like i don't know how he's gonna end this like it's just maybe he'll just never end it and we'll just (laughs) the never ending story (laughs) so hopefully you guys have enjoyed our reread um like aaron said i would uh, again echo her in that if you are on the fence about dark age and uh, are thinking about giving it another shot i would Highly encourage you to do that. It's definitely worth it. And I think you'll get a lot out of it. Good job, Pierce. Okay. Let's get to... What do you want to do first? Mailbag or voicemail? Voicemail, probably. Let's start with voicemail. Our first caller is Rachel B. from Texas. So I don't know what the fuck is going on with my phone. If it's my phone, if it's my service. But they don't want me to be great. It keeps on hanging up when I'm trying to tell you guys 
all the wonderful things that are happening in my head. But guess what they didn't know? I got a motherfucking house phone, bitches. So back to what I was saying. Um, I don't have anything else to think about but Red Rising, so I'm just sitting here thinking and, like, the way the book ended is so, um, it's so fucking epic. It's like, I don't know how to, like, I literally hugged the book when I was done, even though it's, like, the saddest book I've ever read and it made me cry so many times. It's so well written. It's ridiculous how well written it is. And the way, at the end, it's like, Earth has fallen. Everything is pointing at Mars. Fucking Darrow is out with Cassie is having his bromance. Virginia is trying to get everything back together. Pax is now a major player on the board. What is going to happen? And you know what I didn't really appreciate? I don't think the first time I read it was how fucking sad the Telemannus story is. Like, legit, come on, Kavax. Like, when he was like, the indignity is just too much to bear. Like, oh, my heart, my heart. Oh, why did they do that so like that? Then he's just losing everything. And he's just so tired, but he has to fight. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm probably reading into this too deep. but And also one thing I really liked about the story was that Pierce is so smart that he was able to give us monsters without using magic or, you know, like any kind of paranormal type of thing. He used radiation therapy or radiation exposure and gave us the Eskimani. I'm so glad. Like, do you know how hard it is sometimes for people to, like, write in any kind of monster-esque type of thing without bringing in some kind of time travel or some kind of magic or that type of thing? So that is brilliant on his end because I really like that this is just a space story, even though I'm a um, magic whore. I really liked it a lot. But I just want to put that in your mind because I don't have anyone else to talk to about this. You guys have a great Friday. Awoo! Thanks, Rachel. Thank you, Rachel. I love that you said magic whore because <laughs> Ben is a fucking magic whore. <laughs> he loves doing card tricks, especially, well, only really, only when we're drunk around people when we used to be uh, able to be around people. And uh, I've had to sit through lots of magic tricks. And you love it. I hate it. I fucking hate it. <laughs> And all my friends are like, do more magic. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. Don't encourage this. Anyways, Ben is also a magic core. So I like that you said magic core. Um, those are some great points. Like, yes, Telemannus story. Fucking horrible. Incredibly tragic. Pax, like original OG Pax got stabbed and murdered by the original Adrius. That sucks. Daxo killed by Daxo chop head chopped off the Vox. They've almost lost. They've like lost more to the rising than anybody really. So really the bone riders killed both of his sons. And then Thrax is basically almost dead at this point. Yeah. I mean, Kvax he's almost one, died. He's got that one other daughter at least. And his wife, but uh, he almost died as well. Remember? Yep. From Volga, one of our favorites. That's right. complicated. That's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> she also pointed out that Pierce gave us aliens without using like magic. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Yeah. Like these are explainable mutations of humans. Yeah, especially in a world with carvers. Right. So very interesting points, Rachel. 
Thank you so much for calling in. Uh, you, you'll be happy to know that Ben is also a magic whore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we can come together on that. Um, okay, let's go to our next voicemail. This one is, I think this is a drunk voicemail. Fuck yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was the most ridiculous uh, like message to leave your message, whatever. Okay, hashtag quarantine drunk. Uh, howlers, love you guys. Obsessed with you. I was stuck on a cruise ship for like a week in the middle of the ocean um, during this coronavirus thing and just binged color pots so I could catch up. Uh, yeah, love you guys. Don't know what I would do without you. Yeah, howlers, rock on. Um, I also love you guys from school in Columbia, Missouri, which is, like, not too far from Kansas City. So, yes, Aaron is my soulmate. And, yeah, we're running out of supplies in terms of alcohol, but my husband and I are living our best quarantine lives. And I just wanted to say keep making awesome episodes because I love you guys. And, yeah, you guys rule. Ben's Conspiracy Corner is my jam. So keep up the good work. Love you. <laughs> Incredible. Was that a howl? <laughs> I think so, yeah. That was like a how and a woo girl. <laughs> woo! <laughs> we are soulmates. Are we hanging out? Wait, I forgot. We can't. We're not allowed to hang out. I'm glad somebody enjoys Conspiracy Corner because you you clearly don't. It's I don't like it because it's all about holiday. <laughs> like fucking get a new conspiracy. Uh, okay, let's go on to our next one. This one is from Allie. Low Howlers. This is Allie. I just wanted to chime in about the plot armor discussion because I've had a few thoughts while listening to the podcast as a whole. And I I just turned 30 in December, and I was reading this part in Iron Gold in this last reread. I was reading this paragraph, and I was like, wait a minute. How old is this author? This was like really, this is before I started listening to the podcast. And I realized, oh, my gosh, he's 31. And so I really see that like kind of like, gritty realism in his writing as his writing has matured and also as he's pumped out like you know five books at this point so i wanted to say that i think at his core pierce still wants to preserve the happy ending storyline but he's also purposely trying to strip away you know plot armor from an audience point of view i personally think that dark age was the worst of it killing Ephraim, killing a boatload of other characters. He's still got several in a precarious place, but I'd like to think that we're going to have maybe like one more big hit, but then ultimately a satisfying ending. So just wanted to chime in. Thanks for the podcast. You guys are doing a great job. Ow! Thank you, Allie. Allie, ow, yes! <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. Pierce is my age. And I do love a happy ending. <laughs> Therefore, he must also. I was going to say that was a voicemail just for you, I feel like. Well, he is a millennial. Millennials 
all want everyone to live happily ever after. Do we? Well, you're a dark cloud. (laughs) Everyone else wants to save the environment. We want to preserve endangered species. We want the ice caps to come back. I believe in those things. We, We care more about everyone doing well. It's it's actually like a proven scientific study that millennials care more about everyone than mm. fucking old people. <laughs> 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 that was a scientist scientific fact. So, um that I was, think that was that was a scientific <laughs> fact. <laughs> By the way, we took shots of tequila before we started the episode. Just in case. It's a celebration. It's the last episode. Just in case all the beers didn't also help. So science proves that Pierce wants everyone to do well. Oh, that's where that's that's where full circle. Therefore, we are going to have a happy ending. Thank you, science. (laughs) And Allie for pointing that out. It's Allie's study which she is publishing in her next journal can't wait to read that okay let's move on to our next voicemail this one is from darcy hey guys it's darcy johnson calling hope you're all doing well been enjoying the podcast as usual but still licking my wounds after that herb stomping of dark age and thinking of that i was just kind of wondering what you guys would think that uh pierce gonna be doing next after he's finished his next arc think he'd start something on maybe like the conquering or throw in some rising cannon for some novellas following Severo or maybe some of the Grey Legions. But just kind of wonder what you guys think about that and what you'd probably want Pierce Brown to write next. Anyways, have a good one. Thanks, Darcy. Thank you, Darcy. I, I have a strong feeling that Pierce is going to like do something totally different from Red Rising next. I would but agree. But we still have like a year at least before the next book so who knows could change the only thing that i could see changing in regards to that is that there might be an extra book tacked on in the series just because covid well i also just feel like there's a lot to to wrap up to wrap up so yeah um it might require a second book but i have heard interviews with pierce before and i'm pretty sure he says he he's ready to kind of move on from the red rising universe for right now, I've heard that he has plans and has even written some of a, of a and written some of a fantasy novel. So that would be kind of cool. Um, Do you know what it's about? Not really, no. Uh, but I would bet he comes back to Red Rising at some point. Like, well, I think he does want to do something different, but I think he'll come back and revisit the Red Rising world. If there's any type of TV show or movie or anything production wise, he'll have to help with that. For sure. And what I would love to see, one of my favorite things when I was younger, especially, and it helped me, one of my favorite things when I was younger that really helped me get into Star Wars was all the extra, like little encyclopedia books with all the ships and the weapons and the side characters and all that type of stuff. I love those, and I think this world is ripe for that. So I think something like that could be done. I'm not, he obviously probably wouldn't be the person that writes it, but I think as far as next books in the Red Rising world, I think we could maybe see something of that where we get a book of weapons or ships or cross-sections or something that would be really cool. 
You're making me think of a very obscure Hamilton song. Guns and ships, so the balance ships. <laughs> Just so you know. Uh, yeah, encyclopedias are cool if you're a fucking nerd, Ben. <laughs> ben legit has encyc- like real encyclopedias on his bookshelf. <laughs> That's true. All right, what's next? I think our next voicemail is from Deanie B, the meme lord himself. I'll bow down, meme lord. <laughs> Low Howlers 2 and 3, it's Brian from Rugbank, New Jersey, a.k.a. Deanie B, a.k.a. The Meme Lord. Love that I have my own nickname. Calling again to sincerely thank you two for doing this podcast and for letting me be a small part of it. The Red Rising community has never been stronger, and that's in large part thanks to you two. For anyone who listens to the podcast but doesn't necessarily interact with Ben and Aaron, I can certainly attest that they are exactly how you'd imagine they would be. Hilarious, thought-provoking, pop culture-obsessed, and just all-around good people. Before you go on a well-deserved hiatus, I wanted to ask you this. If you could resurrect one character to appear in the last book, who would it be and why? Thanks again. Omnisphere Lupus. Omnisphere fucking Lupus! <laughs> Dini! <laughs> Thank you for those very, very kind words. I like how fast he talked. I love Dini B. I like to hang out with people who talk fast. It's kind of like, you know how Piera Ford puts her podcasts, when she, or sorry, her audiobooks on like, to speed. Mm-hmm. I like people that talk like that. <laughs> I don't want to wait around for your fin- your sentence to finish. <laughs> Thanks, Deanie B. He's got a point. He's going to fucking say it. In and out. Okay, so, Ben, who do you want to resurrect? <sighs> Man. Don't say Ragnar. That's too easy. It is. It's way too easy. I'm thinking I'll go of, first. I'm thinking past that. Go I want to resurrect Tungle. <laughs> oh, no. No. <laughs> i'm sorry please no i'm totally kidding no i'm not just kidding no i am kidding first of all where the fuck i'm standing where is the dog where is tongueless's dog who's taking care of it i think he's just like astray on luna i have important questions or several well several's in prison so exactly Who's taking care of the dog? That's a great okay, question. Ben, who do you want to come back to life? Alexander. Well, he did get new teeth. Nope. So do you think if he came back to life, he'd get a whole new face? After we... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. After we talked about the idea of him and Lysander actually getting to duel... I just yeah. kept thinking about that and kept thinking about that and how much I really want to see that. And that's my answer. Bring back Alexander. I think we need to bring back Daxo because wow, um, we need help. Mustang needs help in terms of brain power. Because you want to see a love triangle between her no. and Darrow and Mustang. I still, I still think Daxo loves Mustang like a family member, like a sister. Um, but I think Kavax needs his kids to stop dying. He needs Daxo. And Daxo is um, a really strong ally. And I feel like Mustang needs someone like him when she's going to go up against Abominadrius. I'm surprised neither of us said Ephraim. I just like block out the fact that Ephraim died. Somebody said that on a voicemail earlier and I was like, huh, Ephraim died. Did he? (laughs) Well, I don't, so 
so I love Ephraim. He's fucking cool. He's hilarious. And I think that we would benefit from Ephraim being alive. But in terms of like the shifting of worlds, I, I don't think Ephraim has that big of a sway. Right. I think Daxo would have a big hand. And I think that you're right. Alex could defeat Lysander. So these are just bigger players, I think. The thing with Alex is just like, he's the best of, of them. Like he represents the best of like gold and this new age that we're trying to get into the, the Republic. And he represents like everything that could be. And so for me, he's like this ideal that's in the future that we're trying to strive to be. He's your golden boy. Yeah, he's my golden shining knight. And we he's lost your him new, too early. Your new Cassius. Good <laughs> no, thing we got Cassius only one back. Cassius. Yeah. That's a good question. Deanie, who you didn't say who yours was. Oh man. You're gonna have to send it in with a bunch of memes. Yep, send in a meme. Our last voicemail for today is from High Lady of the Howlers. The High Lady herself? Low Howler Pod. This is Kat, aka High Lady of the Howlers, calling in with a question. So I am a little anxious and very curious to see where um, Diomedes is. Diomedes. Diomedes, however you say the, the possessive form of Diomedes, um, where his allegiances lie, because he is from the Rim, which is kind of um, fascist, and I I really really like his character. He's like he's like Cassius, but from the Rim. But if you look at the Rim, they have kind of twisted policies, and they're very. Um, I guess you could say old-fashioned and leaning towards, you know, gold supremacy. Well, not even leaning, they're there. So do you think that Diomedes is going to be a thorn in Darrow's side? Is he going to help? Is he going to, you know, join up with the Republic? Is he going to assist Atalantia? Um, and do you think that Diomedes was involved in saving Cassius? So just let me know what you think. How they're out. Thanks, Kat, a.k.a. High Lady of the Howlers. Thank you, High Lady. So, Ben, what is Diomedes's trajectory? Diomedes's. <laughs> what is his path? What is his... Uh, role in book six so i think diomedes is definitely up to shit what what shit what he's up to i'm not really sure but i think the outcome of whatever he does is always going to be in the best interest of the rim i don't think it's gonna be a situation where he joins like the republic or joins the society I think he's probably going to play with the society for a while and be on their side and um, navigate that situation as best he can because it's a dangerous one and then break off at some point in a way that is going to benefit the rim so that the rim can be like its own sovereign dominion. 
Yeah, I agree. I think no matter what he does and no matter what he's promised Atalantia or Cassius, I think that um, definitely he's going to try to be like, okay, y'all do your shit in the core. The rim is its own place and we get to be, you know, the, the pyramid with gold on top. We get to have slaves and you guys figure your own shit out. So basically what Romulus tried to do with Darrow. Yeah, I would agree. I think he's on a Romulus type trajectory where he wants the rim to be separate. He doesn't want to be involved in endless wars. He doesn't want to have a major conflict with the core that's going to take up a bunch of useless lives and energy and funds and all that stuff that could be um, used out on the rim. He also just lost his father and then his sister. Mm -hmm. So, and as we know, he acts 110% on what he thinks is honorable, even when it goes against his own family's wishes. So think about what's honorable for Diomedes, and that's what he'll do. Yeah, and I think like maybe some of the choices he makes may be beneficial to like the Republic or something like that. Like they may end up helping them, but ultimately it's not a situation where he's like trying to join up with the Republic and be a part of their whole deal. And then the other question was if he had a part in Cassius's escape, and I would say yes, definitely. <laughs> it seems like he did. Well, I don't. I don't think he thought. Cassius being killed or imprisoned was honorable because right. Cassius uh, lawfully beat his first opponent and should have then been released. So Diomedes, acting on honor against his family's wishes, didn't let Cassius die and didn't let him become imprisoned. Totally agree. Okay, let's go ahead and you want to move on to some emails? Yeah. Okay. Howler Mailbag. Let's open up the Howler mailbag. Mailbag. <laughs> Make sure you Clorox those envelopes. <laughs> okay. Um, our first question is from Michael Rather. He asks, which type of author do you think Pierce is with Red Rising? Has he, A, started with the end in mind and forced the story to a predetermined direction and conclusion, or B, let the self-actualized character's world slash world take the story to a place he may not have originally intended. Um, that's like George R. R. Martin does in Game of Thrones. So this is kind of an architect versus a gardener situ situation or question. Do you think he's got his whole world planned out ahead of time, or does he kind of find the story as he writes? Is that implying that George R. R. Martin finds the story as he writes? That's the way he does it. Really? Yeah. How? That makes no sense. I think he has, well, he has overarching ideas in mind, but like the journey is not outlined or anything like that. That's why it's taking so goddamn long. It's exactly George, right. Yes. <laughs> get your shit together. <laughs> it's true. Okay. I think that he definitely has every single thing planned out. And if you've ever talked to Pierce, you'll know his brain is moving at four times the speed of normal brains and he's thinking of the history and the future of every character at all times. So I definitely think it's all planned out. 
and we're all just puppets in his game of thrones. <laughs> <laughs> I let you say all that, and I actually know the ho- the correct answer to this. Pierce is a gardener. He finds the story along the way. I've heard interviews Bullshit. with him. Yeah, where he says that. He's just pretending to be. I think he's George. got endpoints in mind, but like the in the, he kind of knows where he wants to get. But in between, he is finding the story as it goes. He said, "Dark Age." Well, he's is, certainly drawing names out of a hat to kill people. He said, "Dark Age" is the first book that he ever had to actually outline because the story got so big. So the previous four books, he did not do any outlining. That is crazy to me. Yeah. I don't. I don't walk outside without having my whole day outlined. But he did tweet at some point after Dark Age came out. Oh, I thought of the ending, and so he has, he knows. I think he has like he has points that he wants to get to in mind, but how he gets there is not necessarily predetermined. That makes sense. Great question. Thanks for writing in, Michael. Thank you, Mike. Our next email is from Gina Marie Bennett. I think she sent a couple emails in. So thank you, Gina Marie, for sending another one. She said, Gina Marie Bennett. Low Howler Pod. She says, I hate to harp on the whole holiday as a traitor topic, but in one of the last few chapters, Lysander says that of all of the colors, grays have been the most loyal to the society. And it hit me in the heart that had better not be foreshadowing. Think about it. If she is feeding information back to society, the closer she gets to Mustang, the better intel she will get. Just saying. I know you said only to pick one badass moment, but I had to pick two. I think this goes back to we had a question about what your most badass moment in yes, the whole series that was. That was a question from a listener. Yes. And she said she I had to pick two. She says when Daryl storms back into the Gala Gala to the cut Gala Gala <laughs> <laughs> to cut Cassius to ribbons and Golden Sun and then starts the civil war that leads to the first Iron Reign. And then her second one was Still several weights. The space battle and Morningstar when Darrow has several hide inside a hollowed out asteroid. Um, that was pretty cool. She said, and she had a quote here from the book that says, while I negotiated with Romulus, teams of Helldivers were melting caverns into the face of Baron Thebe. Now as Rokes, battle cruisers, and torp ships pass the moon, Severo and 6,000 soldiers and star shells pour out of the caverns. And out the other side of the moon pours 2,000 leechcraft, packed with 50,000 obsidians and 40,000 screaming reds. Railgrounds spray, flak deploys last minute, but my forces envelope the enemy, latching onto their holes like a cloud of Luna gutter mosquitoes to burrow into their guts and claim the ships from the M side. Nice. That was part of your favorite, which is the Morningstar space battle. It is part of my favorite, and yeah. I like that she included... The whole story of what happened. Yes. Um, that was a badass moment. And is Holiday a traitor? No. <laughs> Thanks for writing in not. <laughs> I take that back. Right when you started saying that, I was like, fuck Marie Bennett. What's her name? Gina Marie Bennett. I was like, fuck Gina Marie Bennett. How dare she? Is what I thought. <laughs> Holiday's obviously not a traitor, and Ben is on my side now, Gina Marie. So thanks a lot for. Am I pulling uh, at his mind strings? But am I? He's just waiting to say, "I told you so." When <laughs> something happens, but he is on my side right now. That takes us to our next email, which is from Killian Wells. He's also got some thoughts on this. Um, he says, I'm catching up on the reread and just finished episode 54. I had some thoughts. 
Ben finally gave up on Holiday being a traitor. Don't forget the traitor and Iron Gold needed to be a howler. No, nope. since they were the only ones to know of the Ashlord's peace offer. That part couldn't have been Publius. It's a great point, Killian. Uh, he also says, you guys mentioned Severo might not get his memories back if taken. However, Abominadrius doesn't have the full control of the Psycho Spike, so I don't think he'll be able to fully blank slate Severo. Reprogram, maybe, even Barry, but not a complete wipe. Also, Pierce put in an effort to take us through Severo's quarters on the Morningstar with all his trophies and how they define Severo and build him up. I think they get Severo back, and then Darrow, Cassius, and Severo undertake a mission to get the Morningstar to bring Severo back to himself. Nice. What do you guys think? I like that. I'm on board with Killian, and you know what? Holiday is a traitor. No. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. No. Okay. Listen to this. The Ash Lord could have fucking been in contact with Atlas who's got his fingers up everybody's butts, and that's why everyone knows about the peace offering. This whole thing I've been doing for the last five episodes, it was all a work. I thought Holiday was a traitor the entire time. No, you didn't. (laughs) You're just trying to be likable. It wasn't Holiday, you traitors. Killian sent us a second email. And he said uh, he wanted to point out his most badass moment. And he said, the most badass moment in the books is definitely Victra giving birth to Ulysses. Victra has always been a study in badassery, but Pierce takes her to another level, showing us, showing her to us through Lyria's eyes. Truth. We named a that study in badassery study is badassery. my new tattoo. <laughs> Are you also going to get that on your eyelids? Yeah, I was going to say. You're running out of space. Study in badassery. (laughs) All right. Our next email is from Chris. He says... Chris? Loban and Aaron. I have some ideas for Daryl's theme song. For me, it is definitely time-related as he grows and changes throughout the series. When I first found Red Rising, it was about three years after it came out, and the song Ghost from Bad Flower was circulating on the radio a lot and it always reminded me reminded me of Darrow in the beginning of Red Rising when he was feeling suicidal. Another one I thought was really fitting was one for the end of Iron Gold when Darrow was putting away the key the Pax gave him and embracing the Reaper is the cover from Disturbed of Sound of Silence. I really enjoy the podcast. Look forward to each episode as it comes out. Keep up the good work. Says some other nice things. Thank you, Chris. Okay, Ben, put in those two songs right here.
Those are good Darrow songs. Definitely. Sure. I can definitely see the suicide one. <laughs> the lyrics are pretty fitting there. Darrow suicide. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure. And yeah, disturbed is cool. They were really like capturing the, the menace of the Reaper coming back. That's a Simon and Garfunkel cover. Yeah, it is. Okay. I was like, I know this song. <laughs> yes. You do know that song. Uh, thank you, Chris. Let's move on to Kelvin. He says, this is from Kelvin. He says, low howlers two and three. I just finished your interview with howler number one himself and heard his short rendition of under the sea. It made me think that even if he won't sing in the musical himself, his words could still be remixed into the music for the deep grave scene. Great idea. idea. Love that. <laughs> now we have to make a musical um, that we've been talking about for 15 episodes. You mean the one, we've, <laughs> the one we've been making? <laughs> Shut up, Ben. My second comment, his, and then he says, my second comment has to do with Holiday. Not of a mind that she's a traitor, though. Thanks for planting that seed and her stellar performance during Howler initiation. While she is a badass, regardless, it made me wonder what she had to do uh, had to go through for initiation into Legio 13 Jaconis was the Howler initiation a cakewalk by comparison. Love your podcast. Keep loading up those star shells. Ah, was that your howl, Ben? That was uh, Kelvin's howl. That I'm was sure. Kelvin's howl. I'm sure he's <laughs> appreciative <laughs> of that howl. Um, I, I bet the Legio 13 Draconis um, initiation, if you will, is, a, is even more intense than the Howler initiation. You think so? Yeah, because I think it involves like Marine-type training. Probably have to like murder somebody or something like that. You have to you like stab your own hand or something. <laughs> I like the Howlers are badass, but Legio 13 Draconis, they're known for being like the most badass. It's true. Um, how enthusiastic she was about the Howler initiation means she had seen some shit previously, you know? Right. She didn't blink before <laughs> yeah. she reached in the bucket and <laughs> ate the pit viper. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, she's, she's already done worse shit. And she was excited because she's excited to be a part of this club of crazy howlers and not the club of psycho killer 
Legio 13 Dracones. I just don't like to think that they have like a more hardcore initiation than the Howlers do. Well, I don't think it's as fun. I think it's That's more... True. We're more fun. Yeah, I think it's like more serious yeah, and, and less like camaraderie Also, based. and then like you're kind of like, geez, these guys are intense and <laughs> it's maybe not very fun. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. I'm okay with that. Though. I think the... Howler one is definitely weirder and probably has more drugs involved, <laughs> but the Legio Dracones 13. Like more hardcore. They're more like straight edge marine. Uh, what do you call them? Rangers. Like, you know, those type of people. Yeah, I got you. That makes sense. Okay. Thank you, Kelvin. Uh, let's move on to Joel. He sent us an email. He says, I've been binging the Dark Age read-through, made me, and it's made my quarantine bearable. Your podcast, Pure Gold, two are the best duo ever ex- that's ever existed, except for maybe Daryl and Cassius. Wow. 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 We do not deserve <laughs> that kind of love, but thank you. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he says, there's been a lot of talk of Daryl's optimal theme song in the fan base, and a lot of people have been recommending heavier songs that reflect his rage, but I think it's important to remember that he's a kind man, endlessly passionate for his family and friends. So with that in mind, I nominate How Soon Is Now by The Smiths and Tom Sawyer by Rush. Give them a listen. They definitely reminded me of Daryl's general predicament. Thank you so much, Joel. So the first song, I've never heard it. However, it reminds me of like the Breakfast Club soundtrack or like Top Gun even. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I like the, super uh, 80s. I like the different vibes we're getting from those two songs. Like those are like 
Joel said, are completely different vibes than what we've gotten from everybody else. That's true. And they're different from each other. Yes. But some of the lyrics of the first song are, I am the sun and the air of a shyness that is criminally vulgar. I'm the sun and the air of nothing in particular. I feel like Darrow is the sun (laughs) and the air of the rising. So a lot of the lyrics definitely work. I like it. That was the How Soon Is Now by the Smiths. And then, and then the second song. Great song. Tom Sawyer by Rush. <laughs> it's a fun one. Um, I, I was drumming that bitch out. Ben here. was trying to sing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going to be edited out of the podcast. <laughs> ben was, before it played, he was singing it. And I was like, I've never heard that song. And then he played the clip and I was like, oh, right. Everyone's heard that song. <laughs> also a great, I like, I like those picks because they're not like, Super hardcore or, or metal. They're mm-hmm. more of, uh, and Darrow, he's like an onion. He's like Shrek. He's got a lot of colors. Got a couple other uh, points in the email that he sent. He said, Next up is Pixie Bitch Lysander. Ha! For all his many faults, he is morbidly admirable, but him leading an unbacked charge on Mercury was bloody damn bonkers. He's supposed to be a strategic genius and he can't even discern that Calvary charging the mightiest man in the galaxy known for his ability to destroy anyone against all odds is a pretty shit idea. Hey, that's a good point. I get that he's a little honor-seeking bitch, but that level of rashness goes against his entire character concept. I love you hear the thoughts on his spacist ass in the last episode. He is a spacist ass. Yeah, he's a dickhead. I didn't think about him in this, the tactics of his cavalry charge. It seemed like a great idea. Admittedly, I don't know anything about war or cavalry charging. <laughs> so. Have you never seen Braveheart? <laughs> Freedom! <laughs> That's all you need to know about. So you bring up a good point. War. I think because Darrow was so... His back was against the wall at that point. He was really making like a, an Alamo last stand type situation. Definitely. And he did a great job under the circumstances. And again, only survived because he has good friends. True. Which has happened multiple times in the past. Speaking for of good friends, Joel says, now for Cassius, the glorious bastard himself, him returning and for Darrow too was like a Valkyrie flying down to the murky depths of my living room and finished me. And fishing me out of my DA-induced depression. And I, for one, can't wait for him to meet Pax and F, he says, sob, Electra. That'll be one (laughs) for the ages. (laughs) It's prediction time. He says, Cassius is going to kill Papa Fa together with Severo. Oh, I haven't heard that theory yet. He's going to get a mad comeback of some kind. Um Maybe something similar to the good old Hymanthus oil slash snake, boy, snake bite combo. Um, and he said he's looking forward to hearing our thoughts on that one. I've never heard that one yet. I haven't thought about Cassius and Fa going at it. I actually haven't considered Fa fighting any of my like main characters, honestly. I think that Darrow's going to be the one to take him down. Really? I've only thought of Fa going up against like Volga and Lyria, not Darrow, Cassius, Victra, Mustang. You know? Right. I've kind of thought of Fa as a separate storyline with Volga. So that's interesting to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who does take down Fa 
I love the idea of Cassius and Severo teaming up just because they make a great little duo. And that means Severo isn't mind wiped. Right. Fun thought. What if Fa just wins the whole book? <laughs> and he's the one who lives happily ever after. How awful would that be? Hey, doesn't he deserve a happy future? No. <laughs> 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 uh, no. Okay, our last email is from Nick Brindlow. He is our resident British person. And guess what, Aaron? He sent us a recording of Cassius' dialogue. Fuck yes. <laughs> I'm going to play it now. Oh, God's brooding again. Some things never change. Cassius, hello, Goodman. Kavik said that you might need a hand. Just incredible. Oh, cool. (laughs) (laughs) I'll like loop that over and over again. (laughs) Bridging again. He's got the again. Uh, Yeah, I think that's the part we miss a lot. Yeah. I just say again, (laughs) again. I'll forgive you, Nick, for saying Cassius with a sh. His name's Cassius. It was kind of a hybrid. It was like... I think it was gorgeous, and that's what I'm going to fall asleep every night to. Yes, so that thanks was, for my new nighttime meditation track. That's exact, exactly what we needed. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> the minute that started playing, Ben and I just were like fucking cheesing. Like Chuck E. Cheese over here. By the way, Nick, Chuck E. Cheese is a really trashy kid's arcade where this mouse, this animatronic mouse... Shots fired at Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, didn't even know he's going to be an innocent bystander of this podcast. I'm just explaining to Nick, (laughs) who doesn't know what Chuck E. Cheese is, unless he has lived in the United States. Do they not have Chuck E. Cheese over there? In the UK? The UK is classy as fuck. They have Downton Abbey. I don't think they have... too much TV. I don't think they have Chuck E. Cheese over there. They they say things like again, again. <laughs> oh God! Thank you so much. That is the happiest I've been this entire book. Hearing your voice, Cassius. I mean Nick. <laughs> Great job, Nick. He's got a couple questions, so let's talk about those. He says it seems fairly clear that Quicksilver has had Oculus built. He's previously alluded to the fact that he wants to conduct extra solar exploration. But as stated by Lysander and Iron Gold, we know that no organization has faster than light technology. Moreover, Glorastes stated that Oculus would be a space station or an orbit around a planetary body. Based on these two details, what do you think he's planning? Is Oculus a staging post for something bigger? Remember that he seems to have developed the biotechnological augmentation behind Figment. Do you think he's building an army? Could Oculus be a shipyard? Alternatively, is he just trying to escape the war and establish his own private fiefdom? Any thoughts? A lot of thoughts. I think it's like, yes, all of the above. All of the above. (laughs) I think that Quicksilver definitely has a lot of robots. I think that Oculus is um, a new planet basically um based on what glorasti showed lysander i think quicksilver definitely built that whole fucking thing and it's a new little planet and um 
I think there's probably a lot more figmentums running around. Yeah. Including would, robots. Yeah. I think he it is a staging post for something bigger, probably his extra space exploration or extra solar system exploration. And then I do think he's building an army. I would agree with Aaron. I think it's a robot army. And then I think he's also building ships. And I do think that he wants to get away from the war, but I think he's going to try to end the war first and then just try to do his own thing. Like he's like, I've got Oculus out here. Just leave me alone. Let me be my businessman self. Oh, I don't, I don't think so. I think he's primed to be um, the middleman between the rim and the core and he can fucking murder everyone. So he's basically going to be the reason. take all their money. Well, he's going to be the reason everyone has to stop fighting, basically, between the rim and the core. Right. So the rim's going to be like, we're not going to fuck with this robot army. We're going to stay out here and not attack the core. And I, I think he'll kind of be the barrier that saves the rising from the rim. Ooh, I like that. Also, do you think this robot thing is kind of like I am legend and then like the robots are going to take over and be like humanity doesn't know how to care for himself and then Will Smith's going to have to come in and like kill the main robot brain? Yeah, let's write that down for predictions for book six. Will, okay. S- Will Smith's that coming in. That could probably happen. <laughs> All right, his next question is, do you think it's possible for Lysander to be redeemed at this point? I do. I do. I do. I do. I do. I would say I do too, but it's going to take a pretty great act, like a full on sacrificial act. He's going to have to sacrifice his own life for the, for like millions of people to survive or something. Well, I think Pierce has set Lysander up very well and you can see it with the fans. We've, we have a lot of Lysander lovers that's not like the ant thing but like fans of lysander who have finished dark age so these are people who know as much as we do who still like lysander Mm -hmm. so he's definitely a controversial character um a lot of people say fuck lysander but it's kind of like trending and there's people who say no he's a complicated character so i think it I don't know if it'll take that much to sway people back to his side because he does pull a lot of sympathy because of his shitty childhood and because he was basically tortured by his grandma and now he's a sex slave. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I do think he is a complicated character and it is, I do kind of like, uh, like Joel said, morbidly admire him in some ways, but and others, I'm also like, hashtag fuck Lysander. Because well, I'm yeah. extremely frustrated with his decisions. Especially after last yeah. week's episode. So I could see he could be redeemed for me. It would just depend on how what he does. It would have to be, like I said, a, a big sacrificial act, in my opinion. Well, he'd have to not fuck Cassius Ordero over. Right. You know? And he'd have to definitely kill his aunt. <laughs> Um, and then his last question was, do you think book six will follow sequentially or will we see some form of time jump giving the respective players time to consolidate their new positions? That's a great question. I think we could potentially just start from where we left off because like Ben said, I think we're going to get a pretty big book or possibly two books. 
because there's a lot to resolve. So I think the only way really to resolve it in one book could potentially be some kind of time jump. I don't think we're going to get too much of a time jump. Maybe a smaller one like we did with, I think there's basically two months between IG and Dark Age. Mm -hmm. So I think that's going to be, it'll probably be something similar because there's so many things that need to be picked up right away, especially the Cassius Darrow plot. Like there's not a lot of time for that to just sit. You know, it's like we can't just jump to a year yeah, later. Yeah, we need we need to see them hanging out. Right. That's all I'm here for. We need to see kind of that conversation that Darrow and Cassius have. Like, sup, brother. Yeah. Where have you been? So Raising need, a fucking so tyrant. Maybe, maybe that's the pre- preface, and then and then there's a time jump. But I think at some like when we start that book, like. The one thing that I need to see when that book starts is I need to see Darrow and Cassius talking to each other, you know, like immediately. Right. Otherwise, you're throwing it out the window. <laughs> um, and then his last thing is he says, Might it amuse you to know that Glorastes is a portmanteau created by the poet Percy Shelley as a term of endearment for his wife, Mary Shelley? And we had talked about Percy Shelley was the poet that, um, Lysander quoted to Alexander when he killed him. Wow. It combines the Greek suffix, era, Greek suffix erastes, meaning lover of, with the Latin gliridae, meaning dormouse, so literally lover of small mice. Is this Pierce having a small joke about Glorastes' artistic temperament or his apparent love for the common folk of Mercury? I would well, say it's that second thing. Think. Or probably both, knowing Pierce, he's being all kinds of tricksy and smart. Uh, but that's some good information. Thank you for for that, Nick. He's like, that was a real MVP email. MVP smart. (laughs) Great job, Nick. Okay. Um, Today on Instagram, we asked for some questions. So I'm going to hit Aaron with some lightning round Instagram questions. We're going to try and answer these quickly because we are running long. Hey, make a pod. It's a make a pod today. It's a make a pod. I've had so many beers. This episode (laughs) is brought to you by... Summer Shandy by Lining Kugels. If you're still listening at this point, you are a true howler. First question is from Daryl Rising at Daryl Rising. He says, Willow Way or Shadowfall? Which which sword style are you taking? Shadowfall. Me too. Damn. Because <laughs> I like diamonds. But like also Willow Way. Can I do both? <laughs> Can I mix them up? <laughs> All right, next question is from Sharkbait. She says, if Lysander and Atalantia both got COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Relevant. And you had to save one, who are you saving? Lysander. Yeah, me too. Fuck Atalantia. This fox says. What does the fox say? (laughs) (laughs) He says, how are we going to cope after the Dark Age reread is over until the next book or already have withdrawals. Well, there's other books. That's true. You can go back and listen to pod, uh, the podcast from episode one. Also, <laughs> we do a lot of what are you into? And Ben reads a lot of books. Uh, also, we'll tell you about some plans that we have to come back before the next book comes out. Uh, okay. Omega underscore Howler asks... If you were on the same dueling skill level as Cassius, who would you challenge to a duel and why? Like who in all of society, all of the worlds? They're probably saying the books, but I don't know. If you want to duel something in real life, I'll let you. 
Um, I meant the books. <laughs> I would, uh, I would duel Atlas. You think you could beat him? Well, yeah, Cassius could beat Atlas. Think so? Definitely. He's an old man. I oh. would choose Lysander and his pixie little ass. And well, that's not fair because Cassius basically trained Lysander. Why is it not fair? He said I can challenge Ooh, anybody to a duel. Challenge um, Apollonius. <laughs> no. He's, naked. He's Both are naked. <laughs> um, okay. And then Francis.Kate, she asks, what do you think of Pierce's recent IG posts that seem to be new material? This sounded like new material. I did look it up, though. It's actually not new material. It's from Morningstar. It like, is? Yes, like chapter 19 or something like that. Oh, I thought it was new. It's it's, a, I, I didn't recognize it at first either. It's Darrow? Mm-hmm. Okay. But it, he did say tap, tap, tap. It does sound like he's typing. Tap, tap, tap. <laughs> Tippity tap. <laughs> so maybe tap, he's working typing. on something. Uh, okay, our next question is from Finn Church. Finn? Finn. Finn oh, Church. Finn from Star Wars? <laughs> it's just F-I-N Church. What do you think will happen to Daryl in the end? I think he'll live. He's going to die. I think he'll make coffee for his family <laughs> and wake up and make breakfast and hang out. Um, High Lady of the Howlers asks if you could save any murdered character from Dark Age from death, who would it be? Alexander. Uh, I'll say Ephraim. Fuck, I keep forgetting Ephraim died. I, I just don't want to <laughs> accept it. <laughs> I pick Ephraim too. No, I pick Alexander. All right, this question, next question is from Donna Hiker. She said, what are the odds of an Atlas point of view? We could sure learn a lot about his time in the ink. I think we could learn a lot from Atlas. I don't know how far back we would go, but he's he's pretty sadistic, but also like very pragmatic. I I would fear for my own sanity reading Atlas. I think the odds are low just because we would learn too much. Like there's too like too many secrets in Atlas's mind. So if we and were, he's he's with Lysander, so we generally only get a point of view from someone who isn't directly next to another character. Uh, next question comes from Jungle Rusi. They asked, "What are your theories for the next book?" Aaron, give me one theory that you have on the next book. What do you think is going to happen? I think Lyria is going to save Volga and kill Fa and. All by herself? I think she's going to die saving Volga. Wow. My theory is that Darrow and Cassius team up to break Severo out of jail. And, and just bro sesh. And we have a good buddy comedy just with Just a three of them. good threesome. Yes, and then they have a threesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> that would be your <laughs> prediction. They also asked... How do you feel Pierce's writing has changed from the first trilogy to this new one? Um, I've always thought it's great. Everyone's like, oh, it's so much better now. I don't know. I think it's just always been like really great. I've read a lot of fantasy fiction books, and he's among the best, 100%. I even like hate some fantasy books that everyone loves. So I, I think he's always been great, and I think the book just because it's further along in the story has become a lot more complex and he's taken it in stride and held our hands along this whole story. I think the biggest difference is probably matured. The themes are getting more mature and then the the shades of gray are coming in more. 
um, with the the second set of books. Mature themes like ant fucking. <laughs> Rated TVMA. Uh, our next question is from Robert J. Voss. He says, do you think Diomedes will play a major role in the next book? I don't think he'll play a major role. I think he will play a Romulus type role where he's just one of the many contenders in this uh, war for the whole solar system. I don't think he'll have a major role, but I think it will be an impactful role. But not like the whole book. It'll be like one major part, but not... I would agree. He's going to have a few chapters. He'll be like a fourth. Where he makes a very large impression. One quarter. Um, and then on that same vein, Elizasaurus Rex Reads asks, do you think that Diomedes will support Darrow or at least have an alliance? I, I don't see Diomedes supporting Darrow. I think the only reason he let Cassius go was because he follows honor. But Darrow did betray Romulus. So therefore, Darrow doesn't hold the same honor you know, state with him. So no, I don't think Diomedes is going to be teaming up with with Daryl. I agree. I don't think they'll have an alliance. They may do things that benefit each other in some way, but I don't think it'll be an out-and-out alliance. No, and I still think Diomedes believes in the pyramid, in the hierarchy, um, just like his father did. So even though he's like seemingly a cool guy, he's still a space racist, and I don't think he'll go along with Daryl. Uh, next question is from Rebecca J. Clayton. She says, if you had to spend the next month quarantined with three Red Rising characters, who would they be? I would love to spend <laughs> the next month quarantined with fucking anybody, you know? <laughs> I've just been alone. <laughs> As your husband sits right here. <laughs> Producer John's here, but like, give me a break. I would love... Give me a break. <laughs> I would... How many do I get to choose? Three. Oh, three? Guess who I'm choosing. Just give me a break. I'm still talking. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's funny. I know who I would choose. Uh, I would have Girls Night with Mustang, Thraxa, and Volga. Wow. That's That's who I would hang out with. That's pretty good. And I would learn a lot from all three of them. I would come out a better fighter, a better Mm -hmm. strategist. And I bet they love watching Disney movies, too. So we're just going to have a great time. Who would you hang out with, Ben? Cassius, Diomedes, and Alexander. And we're just playing with swords. (laughs) 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 I couldn't get it out. Playing with swords? (laughs) Yep. Um, yeah, we're just working on sword training the entire time. We're You're just playing with your swords. <laughs> yep, we're playing with our swords. All three of you. Yep. Crossing swords. <laughs> Sounds like a great... Over I feel and like, over and over again every can day. Can I join <laughs> that quarantine? I mean, mine sounded fun, but I don't know. Um, Alonzo.Tavera asks, what were your best and worst predictions from D- oh, 4DA that were true? Uh, worst prediction was Ben thinking Holiday was a traitor, obviously. <laughs> Best prediction, I feel like there were quite a few good predictions. I don't really remember what we predicted. But we did it well. I think we did get some stuff right from what I remember. 
Um, I definitely know our worst predictions were we both picked like one character to die. We're like, who's this one? Who's your one character that's going to die? And it was very cute. And then like 17 <laughs> characters died. <laughs> I, I think I picked Victra, actually. I know for a fact that you definitely picked Dancer to die. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I Thanks think, to not be excited about. I'm pretty sure I picked Alexander to die, so those were probably our best predictions. But best and worst. It was really cute because we were just talking about like single characters dying or like a few, but then like every character died. That that's true. Yeah. We didn't realize Pierce was on a murdery rampage yep. while he was writing this. Okay, and this is just a demented question from K underscore B underscore I I. They said one has to die, Severo or Victra. Victra. Wow, I would say Severo. Damn. No, you can't kill Severo. I think you can. I don't think you can. <laughs> nope. Can't kill Severo. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Victra. Don't hurt me. Uh, okay, and then our next question is from Dan Relata. He says, there are so many factions in the solar system now, the Rim, the Vox, the Syndicate, the Alltribe, the Society... The Gorgons, Lysander and his loyalists, plus Apple, etc. In Dark Age, we only managed to beat the Red Hand. If you were Mustang slash Darrow at the end of Dark Age, how do you instigate the greatest comeback of all time? What would your plan be? How would you turn them against each other? Who would you attack first? Any clever ideas? I definitely think you want the society to attack Abominadrius. And well, I, you kind of want everyone to attack Abominadrius, right? But he's also using part of the Republic's fleet, which is a bad situation because we need those ships. It'd be cool if Abominadrius and the Bone Riders kind of eat themselves up. Right. Because he clearly doesn't like them. You, de- you definitely want to try and sow discord inside of the Abominadrius camp. Get your ships back. Get that group of low colors in the former Republic as many people from there back on your side as you can. Definitely. Load up at Mars and then just defend the hell out of that bitch. Yeah. I think it's like, I don't know. That, that would sounds be my good. <laughs> we, got, we got helium. <laughs> We're good. Like really bunkered down on that thing. I think that's a great plot. And I think that, Ben, you just wrote the next book. Good job. <laughs> okay. And then our next question is from Has Nizzle. Has Nizzle. What kind of horrible slash humiliating turn of fate would you like to befall that pixie bitch Lysander in book six? Well, he gets herpes from uh, Atlantia. Is there a form of like snake herpes that he could get? (laughs) That sounds bad. Honestly, I think Lysander, I honestly 100% predict that Lysander will have some sort of role in Darrow and Cassius winning this war. I think he's going to be a flip-flopper, and I'm sticking to that. Okay, so this question comes from my old friend, T.O. Left us that great drunk voicemail. Um, he says, This is your college friend? Yeah, we played uh, basketball together. B-ballers? Mm-hmm. He's the man. He says, do you think that there is a chance that the Fear Knight and the other Raws are playing a long game con on the society to get in a position to take vengeance on the society for nuking Rhea all those years ago? I don't think there's a long game because 
like all the people who were in power are no longer in power for both sides. So Romulus is gone. Octavia is gone. The Ash Lord is gone. I think that Diomedes is going to definitely act in the interest of the Rim, but I don't think it's going to be anything related to Rhea. What about Atlas, though? He's asking about Atlas. What's he doing? Exactly. What is Atlas doing? And I and we've been trying to figure this out. Like, what exactly is Atlas's motivations, and what is he up to? He's clearly crazy. He's sticking everything he has up everyone's butts. <laughs> but he's also like somehow likable. I don't like it. I kind of like this theory that Atlas is playing a long game. I definitely think the Raz and the Rim as a whole. I do consider them separate from Atlas. Yeah, Atlas seems wholly core to me. Yeah, he seems well, he also seems like he's doing his own thing separate from the core and he's got his own That's true. Soldiers he's, too. His whole thing is sticking whatever he has <laughs> up everyone's butts and that's his that's his end game. It has nothing to do with Rhea. So I definitely think the Raz and I'm by the Raz I mean like Diomedes and his family, his family back on IO. Like Dido. They are playing a long game. And it is focused around revenge for Rhea. Oh, uh, I was saying that I know, that's I'm not what I'm disagreeing with you. You're disagreeing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm just pointing out that <laughs> I don't think that's true. And I was I wonder what Atlas is doing, but he may be up to a similar thing. Because think about it, he was a hostage from that war. So basically, he was a child hostage of that war, kept as a ward in order to keep the rim in line. Um, so he could be playing extremely long game at this point. And that would kind of fit his character. He's known, we've seen him in his plots, his long twisting plots. So I could see this. I like it. Good idea. Thanks, Tio. Okay. Our last one is from Dustin, Cowboy Dustin, our friend and artist. Yeehaw. He says, after listening to the recent installment of Pallerpod, I was listening more carefully this time to the descriptions slash dialogue. It hit me that while riding by Lysander's side at the Triumph, Atlas told him, you are but a mortal. This kind of gave me chills since it's exactly what Roke told Darrow at his Triumph on Mars in almost exactly the same fashion. Do either of you think this is a premonition Pierce is giving us of the Fear Knight's designs or how he may betray Lysander slash Atalantia? Dang. That's heavy. I didn't even notice that. I didn't either, and that's a great point. But nothing happens to Lysander. Yeah. Even though something was supposed to happen to him. Interesting. That is really interesting. And I do think it could be some foreshadowing for Atlas possibly betraying Lysander. The only thing that would go against that is Kalendor told him that he should trust Atlas. So I don't know. That's true. I kind of see Atlas as an ally to Ice, to, to, <laughs> to Lysander. To Lysander. Great question, Dustin. All right. I think that's it. We've answered every single question that came into us. For the most part. Uh, okay, let's wrap this bitch up. 
Do you know what it's time for? What are we into this week? Got to do this very quickly. We're going fast. Okay. I'm into a podcast. It's called The Last Podcast on the Left. It's only available on Spotify. And um, it's been going since 2011. And it's essentially a comedy history podcast. So if you find history boring, this is a great way to learn historical facts with comedians who kind of act out quotes and stuff. Um, It's very funny. They uh, can fill your day after Hallerpod takes a hiatus. (laughs) It's called The Last Podcast on the Left, and it is on Spotify. Ben, what are you into this week? I'm into some old movies. I've been going back and just watching old movies while on quarantine. I watched uh, like a 1950s samurai movie called Seven Samurai. It was like three and a half hours long. It's really great, actually. Some good fighting scenes? Yes. It was really cool. Um, and you can see the thing about this is like very influential on a lot of blockbuster filmmaking. So like you can see how it influences movies like Star Wars and stuff like that. And then nice. I also just watched The Godfather the other day. Hot take on The Godfather. Great movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought everyone... <laughs> Hated that movie. <laughs> That's a really good movie, actually. That's weird. Yeah. That is a hot take. <laughs> so where did you watch both of these? What platform? Uh, I think I rented both of them, actually. Like I just rented them on iTunes. Yeah. iTunes? Oh, okay. Yeah. So Seven Samurai and The Godfather. I've never mm-hmm. seen Sa- Seven Samurai. It's pretty cool. It's long, but it's cool. Nice. I was uh, watching it while working on the outline. Did you practice your samurai skills so you can impress <laughs> Cassius? <laughs> Yes, I was warming up for our quarantine month <laughs> for our swordplay. Your swordplay? <laughs> it's great. All right. What's coming up on Howler Pod? Okay. Don't forget, we're doing those character studies like we previously mentioned. So uh, email us, howlerpod at gmail.com. Talk about which characters you want to dive deep into, and we'll do it. Well, if I can do it. Also, just I really want to hear like what you guys want us to talk about. So if you have ideas for segments or anything like that, uh, that would be great. Like, what do you want to hear us talk about in these character studies? I've got some ideas, but uh, I love to have the listeners involved in helping us with this podcast. That's what makes it so great. So if you guys have ideas, you want to send them our way, said hollerpot at gmail.com. We're all in this together. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to follow us on the social meets at HowlerPod on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Etsy. We'll still be memeing in in the hiatus time. Dreaming coronavirus (laughs) social distancing. (laughs) That didn't rhyme. (laughs) I'm not going insane. You can go ahead and buy shit on our Etsy store. It's uh, mostly shipped from the United States. So... (laughs) There you go. Email us for the Howler Mailbag for our upcoming episodes in a quick sec at HowlerPod at gmail.com. Leave a voicemail, 1-800-516-1540. Find links to all of this and more at HowlerPod.com. Tell a friend about the book. Spread the word. What the fuck else is everyone doing? (laughs) Read Red Rising. Why not? And... I like to plug the book and be like, hey, do you like space? Do you like murder? Do you like 
hot authors. <laughs> That's why what it's you, all about. Why don't you check out Red Rising? <laughs> and all my ladies are like, yeah, girl. <laughs> it's a great way to plug it. And rate and review. Five stars only. If you don't give us five stars only, we will escape from your grasp with your best friend slash brother figure, and he will lock eyes with you and be like, boom, bitch, you <laughs> wrong. You should have given us five stars, and then you'll feel like shit. <laughs> He'll just look at you from the ship. Five stars. Five stars. <laughs> He'll pop his white armor off. His helmet comes back, and he's like, yeah, I saw that three-star review. <laughs> You suck. That's what Cassius <laughs> says out the ship. All right. Thanks, Howlers. Megapod, over. Omnisphere lupus. Oh! Over.